Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee Talks with Mike, episode 34. Thank you for being here wherever you find yourself. I'm happy to be with you. My voice is a little beat. I um, was preaching on Sunday and then uh, leading evening worship that evening and um, Sunday school. It was just a full week for me. Um, and uh, a rough few days for my vocal cords, but that's fine. It's not like I'm a singer or something. You're welcome. Um, for those of you that uh, are wondering, I just found out today actually that I passed my ordination exam. So that is great news. It is a huge relief for me. So thank you for the support from afar, uh, from so many of you, uh, the prayers and encouragement for sure. Um, I know you all are all, all just great and so um, so supportive to me, and I appreciate that. And my my tone doesn't reveal that in this moment, but I just wanted to share that with you so you could hear it from me. Um, if you didn't hear it from someone else, uh, and to celebrate finishing my ordination exams, I am going to uh, get out of town for a little bit. So um, that's where I'm at at the moment. And take some time to rest and recuperate. But I had to get you an episode out. I know you were sitting there at the edge of your seat going, is he gonna, is he gonna skip? Nope, here I am. Episode 34 coming to you. But it's going to be a quicker one. It's going to be a quicker one. But that's okay. Because I want you to think about this in particular. Um, as we jump in. So we're going to return to some Lewis. Now, I think I already mentioned Lewis is fresh on my mind. Always, of course, but Lewis is fresh on my mind right now because I'm getting ready to teach a series at my church um, on Lewis. Now, I'm still kind of juggling what do I which which book I want to teach on. I thought I was going to do Mere Christianity, and I'm leaning towards that, but I don't know. I'm just maybe I'll do a Narnia series. Maybe I'll do. Ugh. So I just had to revisit something. Um, something else just to, to see how I'm feeling. And I picked up the screw tape letters. Uh, and I just want to read you this really interesting little passage. Um, screw tape letters, if you didn't know some background, they were originally written as um, newspaper inserts um, or articles, I guess. So you could read any of them in isolation and it's fine, right? Like you don't need to read it chronologically from start to finish. There is a logical trajectory but the premise is the same, right? It, the, and if you don't know the premise, here it is. Uh, there is a demon named uh, Screwtape. He is this master demon, and he's writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, beautiful name. And he's trying to teach Wormwood how to be a good demon, how to tempt Christians, and, and how to keep them from living the lives that God wants us to live. And so Screwtape sometimes is praising Wormwood. Hey, you did such a good job because you did X, Y, Z. Or he's ripping into him because he's totally messing up and the Christians are living really good, holy lives. And so in the language of these quotes, because it's from the perspective of the demon, um, he'll say things like the enemy, but that's a signal that he's talking about God, right? So um, it's important to kind of have that flip in your brain as you're reading and don't get too confused um but yeah well fun fact i guess it's not really fun it's a little dreary but historical fact about it lewis said although this 
this was such an important work, it was really hard for him to write because of the mental state he had to get in to try and just stay in this mindset uh, of, of screw tape to come up with these things. Um, but I think the value of it is well worth that, that effort. And so let's jump in. Um, you could call this section the horror of the same old thing. That's kind of the topic being discussed here. Um, so I'll start. He says, what we want, if people ever become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind of what I call Christianity and, you know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and uh, psychic research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute the faith itself with some fashion, with a Christian coloring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. That's interesting. He capitalizes, and this is very intentional by Lewis. It happens a lot. Capitalizes same old and thing, trying to indicate almost in platonic language, like the ultimate form of something. So if you're not familiar with Plato, it's the idea that, you know, up in the heavens, there is the, the virtue of love, capital L, that encapsulates all kinds of love, every possible definition, iteration ever. But because we're human and mortal, we can't, live out that kind of love right so we when we use love we use a lowercase love because it's it's love but it's not all of what love means and so when we talk about reason a lot of times lewis does this to distinguish between god's reason and and humanity's reason he'll distinguish with capital r like reason in its entirety versus our ability to reason with a lowercase r and here He's capitalizing same old thing. Now, is there one same old thing that he's talking about? No, it's this ultimate notion of the same old thing. What he's saying is that the distraction becomes the most powerful tool to our against our faith. So again, in the mindset of screw tape, this is his tool to use to derail us. Distraction with the same old thing. And what he means by the same old thing is everything that we get bored with in our lives. The same old thing is, is a horror to so many people because the idea of living the same monotonous kind of life, whether it's going to the same cubicle every day or wearing the same outfit every day or eating the same meal every day or being with the same spouse every day, you go down the list, there's all these things that society can sometimes weigh down on us and say, oh man, you need more variety. You need more change. You need something new. Don't settle for what you've already got. Keep striving for more. You don't want the same old, same old. You need something new and better. And so he's pairing this with this idea of, okay, well, if they're going to be Christians, make sure they define themselves as Christians and, and he gives some, some, language there and he lewis is showing his time period as he writes this talking about the crisis of what 
uh, world wars happening, maybe. He's talking about new psychology developments. He's talking about the new order. He's talking about faith healings, which were big at that time. He's talking about psychic research. He's talking about vegetarianism. It's always something that has to paired, be paired with Christianity. And what Lewis is, I think, trying to make the point of is that when we talk about Christianity, when we talk about the faith passed down to us, the faith tradition, capital T, we're not talking about Presbyterianism. We're talking about Christianity's tradition, capital T. It encapsulates all kinds of things, but it's not a Christianity, Christianity and. It's the faith of Jesus Christ passed down to the disciples, passed down to their disciples, and eventually to us. The problem is, the thing that gets Christians tripped up so much is we get so focused on the subcategories, whether there are denominations or the things that we advocate for, that we start to lose sight of things. Now, this is a, a tricky, slippery slope for me discussing this because uh, I'm, I'm putting words in Lewis's mouth in one sense. In another sense, I think he's quite literally saying some of this, but this is the issue where it's I could hear someone responding with something to the effect of, that's right. I agree with you, Mike. I agree with Lewis. We're tired of the Christianity ands. We're tired of Christianity and Christianity and this thing. We just want Jesus. We just want the Bible. That's it. I don't want to hear about special kinds of theology or, or new movements or any of that stuff. I just need my faith. And in one sense, I totally agree with you. In another sense, I don't, because all throughout history, what we know to be true is human beings are imperfect, and we think we've got it all figured out. No one wakes up and thinks, I'm, I'm going to mess my life up today and live it the wrong way. No one wakes up and thinks, you know, politics is really nuanced and I'm probably wrong about a bunch of stuff. No, we think, yeah, politics is nuanced, but don't worry. I've got it all figured out. Yeah, Christianity is confusing, but don't worry. I've got it all figured out. And so this notion of and Lewis throws the, the popular taglines on it um, of his day, but it's really all of us that we start to throw out the tradition and fill in our own expectations and call them normal. And what he's getting at, um, he, he's talking about earlier in the chapter a little bit about the gradual turning. He talks about um, let, let your subject or let the Christian begin with either patriotism or with pacifism and make him believe it's part of their religion. Um, and then it becomes the most important part. And then eventually it becomes the majority part. And eventually you might be able to get him to a place where you can weed him off the religion altogether and make him believe it was the patriotism or the pacifism that was important all along. And what Lewis is talking about there is how people will take equally opposite ideas, ideologies, values. And when you put it in the spirit of and Christianity and this thing, it doesn't matter if it's on the left or the right or the top or the bottom, which side of the opposites on when you reduce Christianity to this extra thing, you've allowed it a foothold to distract you from Jesus. So he goes on. Um, he's after saying that we should use the horror of the same old thing. 
and by we, I mean the demons to distract Christians. He says, the horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we've produced in the human heart. It's an endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. The humans live in a time and experience reality successfully. Oh, I'm sorry, successively. To experience much of it, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy, which is God in this sense, and he says the enemy, being a hedonist at heart, has made change pleasurable to humans, just as he, being God, has made eating pleasurable. But since God does not wish them to make change any more than eating, an end in itself. So he doesn't want change to be the end all be all. He's balanced human beings' love of change in them by a love of permanence. He's contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world he has made by that union of change and permanence, which we all call rhythm, capital R. He gives them the seasons, each season different, yet every year the same so that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as the recurrence of an immemorial theme. He gives them in his church a spiritual year. They change from a fast to a feast, but it's the same feast as before. He goes on to talk about how we have this never gratifiable uh, notion of novelty. I'm not going to get into that today. I could keep going, as you know, forever. But this idea that human beings live with this paradoxical balance of a love for change and a love for permanence is really interesting, right? Because we, we hear this all the time in our development cycles from teenager, you know, children to teenagers to young adults to adults to and, uh, middle-aged adults and late-stage adults, retirees and end of life. The, the balance between spontaneity, spontaneity slash change and, and some kind of permanence or stability, we need both. And I love that, that he sums that up by calling it rhythm with capital R. I think that's also timely. You know, right over my desk where I record these episodes, I've got a, a really cool piece of art that they don't make anymore, I just found out. Um, it's by... Um, you know, uh, modern liturgic is what it's called, modern liturgic. And it's just the liturgical year in this really cool depiction. If you don't know what the liturgical year is, and uh, Lewis says spiritual seasons here, he's talking about the church's year, the spiritual year. And it's how we lay out our year. Just like we have January through December to make sense of the calendar year, um, we have the spiritual year that starts with Advent. And then there's Christmas, and then there's Christmas tide, and then we go into ordinary time, and then we go into Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday, and then we go into Holy Week, and we got Maundy Thursday, Good Friday. You know, these are all very common parts of the spiritual year, and they give us a rhythm. And, and I, I love that language he uses. It's like spring. It comes every year. Same old year, and yet it brings with it novelty. 
we know exactly what's supposed to happen when springtime comes. So there's permanence. And yet when we experience it, it's novelty. It's new. It's beautiful. It's change. And we want this in all of our lives. But if we make change the end in itself, then we've lost it. We've lost the thread. If we make stability the end in itself, then we've lost it. Rhythm is what keeps us moving between both of those things in a healthy way. Now, back to the original you know, paragraph, the, the first paragraph about Christianity and, there are a lot of places where Christianity has needed to expand its understanding rather than continue to stay where it was. A lot of times where Christianity has seemed like it was all said and done, this is kind of like a, oh, we could just get back to that one time when Christianity was perfect. There was not a one time. If you recall the words of Jesus throughout the Gospels, it was more frustration with the disciples for not understanding what he was talking about than anything else. If you get to the book of Acts, it was more confusion amongst the disciples about who should be in charge and what they should do than anything else. There was not some magical tide, time or utopia where the disciples and the church were all in agreement about everything. This faith is something that we continue to figure out by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes Christianity and can be important, right? It's not the and. It's not that there's I get, okay, it is the end. Now we're, we're battling semantics. And if you're listening to all these episodes, semantics matter a lot. It's when we put anything next to the Christianity as if it's a separate, an, an equal and separate goal, right? So even something like Christianity and vegetarianism, like Lewis mentions, I know quite a, a few people who believe their diet is directly impacted and influenced by their faith. The reason they are vegans or vegetarians is because of their faith. Now, should they view their dietary choices as equally important to their faith in Jesus? No. That's the theology of Christianity and. That's that approach. However, when you truly begin to worship God in all areas of your life, and I think I've mentioned the Augustine notion of first and second things already. If I haven't, here's a brief rundown. We live in a hierarchical world where we value things differently. And there are certain things that make it to the top of our to-do list and certain things that will always be on the bottom. And in Augustine's view, there are first and second things. There are some things that were meant to be in first place all the time in our priority list. Some things were not. God is always supposed to be in first place. God does not share first place with anything else or anyone else. And when you learn to put God in that first things spot, it enables you to love all the other things in your life properly, in their proper places, with the proper balance. But if you don't, even the good things you love can become problems because the moment we put anything above God, it is no longer a good thing, but now it's an idol. 
And so this notion of Christianity and is the process of moving these things that could potentially be good into that slot as if it is equally important to all of the tradition that's been passed down to us in our faith. No, there, there is plenty of room to discuss how our faith should inform race relations. There's pr- plenty of room to discuss how our faith should inform our diet. There's plenty of room to discuss how our faith should inform our policies in our government. But when you, when you put patriotism and Christianity as side-by-side equivalents, we're missing something. Apostle Paul said, we're no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, right? When we put too much emphasis on the and, as if this faith is equal to that thing, now we're getting into that slippery area. But the flip side of that is letting our faith be the lens through which we see all things, which is far more expansive and illuminates those things in our lives far better than we ever could have on our own. The problem with first and second things is if you love a second thing as a first thing, you lose both. So our lives are revolving around the attempt to figure out what is the highest possible good that we can put at the top of our list. What is the highest good that we can aim at with our lives? Obviously, in our faith, we would say Jesus, God, the Trinity, some form of that. And if you're aiming at that, If that is the highest good, if that is the thing you put first always, then that enables you to have the capacity to experience everything else the way you were intended to. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. Is it the fruit or the decision to do what God had told them not to do? Is it the fruit or is it the movement from dependence upon God to a dependence upon self? Is it the fruit or is it the reordering of first and second things? Valuing one's autonomy over one's relationship with God. So those are just a few quick thoughts from uh, this brief little excerpt from Screwtape Letters. I totally recommend it to you. Great book, um, quick read. Um, The chapters are short, so you can pick it up and put it down anytime you want. Um, But yeah, hope you have a wonderful week. I know I will. I will be MIA. So as I'm gone, thank you again for listening to this podcast, for hanging out, for your prayers, for your support. I feel immensely relieved being done with exams. I think I can actually take a breather now for the first time in maybe three years. So go in peace.